I think uh, if you'd asked this question when I was 21, I'm 34 now, um, I think I would have said coach Olympic gold medalist. And that was probably mm-hmm. because of ego. Um, now, I'm really proud just to be quite good at coaching 14 to 18 year olds and sending them off to universities. Um, And I kind of just want to get better and better and better at that. And um, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy having day-to-day contact with young people of that age, because I feel like we can have a big impact, not just in the pool, but on people's lives and shaping who they are. Welcome to the Propulsion Swimming Podcast, where we aim to give swimming the coverage and publicity it deserves. Every week, we celebrate the sport we love with amazing special guests and topics from around the swimming pool. And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Dan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott, and back with me, as always, is my good friend, Dan. And like we've said on so many previous episodes before, we love providing a platform for discussion in every area of swimming, especially here in the UK. But for this week's show, we are looking outside our own country at one of the leading academies in the Middle East. We are. Of course, the UK is our home and we want to push everything that's British based. But sometimes it's good to broaden horizons, potentially learn new things, increase our knowledge base, stuff like that. Uh, It's going to be especially interesting to see how the club setup is out there, the business setup or any training methods are different over there. I think this is going to be quite an interesting one. It's going to be a good one. Yes. So joining us on this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming podcast is the director of swimming at Hamilton Aquatics Dubai, Ash Morris. Ash, thank you for coming on. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. No problem whatsoever. I I know you're not actually in Dubai right now. So you've done a tour of the UK with all of the what national or um, British champs British meets champs. going on. Yeah, we just um, we were we were at British, and then uh, we headed we headed across to Ireland for a few of the Irish swimmers as well. So it's the first time we've been able to kind of support them at their nationals in a few years. So it was good. I think before we get into kind of the meat of asking you questions about Dubai, we always like to start with asking a coach their journey through swimming because every coach has a different story. So where did it all start for you? Um, I was a pretty bad swimmer, or average swimmer, should I say. Um, I just picked up, started enjoying it, started training hard when I was maybe 11 or 12 um, with a small local club called Huntingdon Piranhas in Cambridgeshire. Um, I got like okay fairly quickly and then um, decided I need to move to the city of Cambridge at the time um, just to get a little bit more training hours in. Um, and, and, and from there, really, I realised... I loved the sport, but I didn't love doing it myself. Um, probably wasn't as committed as I am as a coach. So um, it was a really, really easy one for me to jump out of the pool and at the time just give my my coach at the time a, a help on poolside. I was only 16 at the time. Um, and I just said, can I help you out? And he said, yeah, crack on. Here's a stopwatch. Didn't really know how to use it. <laughs> and um, and it went from there, really. A, a year later, at the, the same club, Hunting and Piranhas, um, I got voted in as um, joint head coach by the committee because it was a voluntary position. So I was only 17. It was, I mean, it was only four one-hour sessions a week, I think, so it's not like a, a big deal. But um, at the time, it felt like it. And um, that's where I kind of, I guess, made my first lot of mistakes, really, and um, learned how to coach and learned what not to say to people and things like that. So... 
Oh, amazing. And then, of course, you've now found yourself in Dubai. So what was the, the reasoning? What was the journey to leading up to Dubai? So, again, I, I went on from Hanson and Pran as a coach to uh, a swim squad called Mid-Bed Swim Squad. I don't know if you remember them. Um, they they were based out of Biggleswade and Flittick in Bedfordshire. We had some decent kids at the time. I think we managed to get 20 kids to nationals on the last year we were there. So we did, we did all right. And um, I think that got recognized by a guy I, I knew, Chris Tidy, who had come out and already set up Hamilton Aquatics. Um, and he, uh, he just had a conversation with me at the City of Derby meet in January, I think. Um, he just said, uh, oh, do you want to come out and coach? And I was like, yeah, maybe. And then it got a little bit more serious with the chats. And, um, and I was like, right, we've got nothing to lose. About there for two years. Uh, and then 30 years later, I'm still here. So. Yeah. So how long have you been at the helm at uh, Hamilton Aquatics? Um, well, I came out in 2009. I'd say um, Chris, who owned it, was was coaching until 2016. He actually coached um, Velomir Stepanovic, who was Olympic finalist in 2012 and European champion in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, so he balanced running the business alongside coaching a senior group. Um, while I kind of took the head coach role and looked after the club and the, the swimmers and the parents. Um, and since he stopped coaching in 2016 um, and, and looked after other areas of the academy, um, I'd say, yeah, from 2016, it's, it's pretty much been me and a good group of coaches around us. What is it that draws coaches like yourself out to Dubai? Because I, I imagine the warm weather's a great benefit, but is there anything yeah. else which um, you kind of use as a selling point to get coaches out there? I think for me, it's been the journey and the, the evolution of the program, definitely. And I think for, for other coaches, that's a similar thing. Like we are qu- pretty proud to be able to develop other coaches who work with us, who get opportunities to maybe work in full-time coaching, um, whereas they wouldn't in the UK, they'd maybe have to balance another job um, alongside their coaching. So I guess that's the main thing for, for career-driven coaches. Um, and then obviously the work-life balance is pretty good. Um, I mean, it does get overly hot. I was going to say, it not, must do, yeah. It's not nice all the time. So, um, it, But I, I just think Dubai gets a lot of things right in general, um, not just swimming like in, in, in just work hard, play hard kind of mindset across across the UAE. I mean, the, the lifestyle, but from, from the outside looking in, the lifestyle looks incredible. Like you're outside, the sun's really good. Obviously, it does get a little bit too hot in the summer because it's, it's a desert. Um, I, just, I see loads of coaching opportunities on websites and online and stuff like that. Um, is it something worth exploring if there's a younger coach looking to go out there? Yeah, definitely. I think um, anyone who's just struggling to get the amount of coaching hours they want at a club, or just wants that opportunity to work with some young swimmers, um, even if it's in a teaching role. I think, yeah, we're, we're pretty proud to be able to develop people. I think probably 95% of the people who have moved on from us, either after two years or four years, have always gone on to something either in the industry or it's allowed them to have a skill set which has been able to open doors into into other industries, which is really, really positive. So mm. um, part of being is at Hamilton Aquatics, we're, we're linked with other academies and and other companies within a school's network so doors do get opened and um it is great opportunity for people well let's talk about that academy network because it is massive massive is that a big focus of the almost the brand or the club is that a way of making money and sustaining the club yeah i think um 
we are set up as a business. It makes a lot of profit and there's no hiding from that. Um, it does get people's backs up at different points because, you know, it's a, it's a swimming club to a lot of people and as a coach it is as well. Um, but when you take the positive, it allows us to put a sustainable model in where we've got lower coaching ratios, more pool access, better facilities. Mm. So, yeah, it, it really has been to our benefit. We've got a classic kind of pyramid structure within the program where, um, like my elite squad, for example, there's only 18 swimmers. We've got a full-time S&C coach, myself, and an assistant coach. I've got unlimited long course access. Um, and yeah, their fees combined don't even cover half of the costs for the elite squad. But when you go further down the pyramid into the development pathways and into the Learn Swim program, that's where, um, as a business, it becomes more profitable, but it also supports the rest of the progression. So when I say it's massive, give, a, give us an idea of numbers in terms of scale. And right down at the bottom, do you have anyone you answer to in terms of setting up your own Learn to Swim program? Is it really you can write your own program going through the stages all the way to making basically your, your perfect swimmer at the top, let's say? Yeah, so we've actually got a thing at the moment of, you know, how do we get a swimmer from a learner pool to an international podium? Because it's something we've probably subconsciously done um, over the years without having a real method towards it. But now we've been able to put things in place at the Learn Swim program level where like we've got a thing called the Hamilton Way, which it's not just like everyone can teach 10 meters kicking streamline and good body position. Like everyone can do that. But like, how do we do it? How do we teach it? What do we encourage? Those kind of things. So we... It's actually, it's not even a final product right now, but we've we've spent a long time just going level by level, stroke by stroke, what are the core practices that we want at each stage, each level, linked in with Blabbed, all of those things so that we can track kids which come through at an optimum age all the way through the development pathway. Then once they're in that development pathway, which is squad-based environment, again, it's very much about teaching the skills and the technical abilities in, in the pool progressing it, challenging it as we go through the age group program. So um, it's very progressive, I would say, is, is the best word to use. Um, mm. It does link in nicely, not as perfectly as I want it, but um, that's probably because of the scale of it. Um, and when you mentioned numbers, yeah, we've got 5,000 in our Learn Swim program of all ages and abilities, really, up to adults. Um, and it's yeah, massive, we've got... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We've got 900 <laughs> in squads, um, of which I would say three to 400 are reasonably competitive. So the depth the depth is great. Um, the full commitment from probably 100 to 150 different athletes and swimmers um, is really, really good as well. So we, we don't have any complaints with our performance pathway, for example. Like everyone's pretty committed. Everyone works pretty hard. Um, everyone's very goal-driven. Yeah, And do you think this as a kind of business model, so right down, learn to swim all the way to the top, do you think that is replicable here in the UK or do you need to go outside to be able to do it? Because obviously here you answer to Swim England and pool, pool time is really hard to get anyway. Yeah, well, I think it's it seems to be a challenge. You know, I was back at British Champs and a lot of, a lot of people in Britain seem a little bit demoralised with a lot of things and a lot of struggles they've got. And I think there are definitely places which it can be done. Like, you know, I'm not going to lie, like 
a lot of people do have a little bit more money in Dubai to be able to spend on swimming lessons and squad fees and it's all part of the economy, you know, and, and, and that's kind of how it is here. But I think there are certainly places in the UK where that's still possible. Um, and if not, there's, it just needs to be scaled in the right way and, and done in the right way. Um, I think you say you kind of have to do things in a Swim England way. Like, I don't believe you do. I think you can do your own thing. I think you can be a maverick. I think as long as you tick some boxes, um, I think you can get by and you can structure things in a way. And I think as long as you've got a method behind your madness and um, some policies in place which protect you as an organisation and things like that, then then that would be better. Um, I think more clubs in the UK need to go down a technical management route, even if it's not a business route. Um, clubs in the UK can't continue to be run as volunteer committee members. Um, mm -hmm. Some, again, are better than others. Like I know there's clubs out there with ex-swimmers from their club on their committee, and that's great for the legacy and that's great for the culture. Um, but there are a lot of clubs which have new committee members every year, every two years with um, you know, a conflict of interest with their own their own kid in the program, you know. So yeah. I think it's hard to generalize. I think some places are a lot better set up than others. Um, and, and, and other places need to start thinking a bit into the future, really. It's very difficult to break that tradition of volunteer committee members, because like you say, it changes every, let's say, five years, give or take. How can we break that in the UK, in your opinion? I think the easiest thing to do would be like, and I know a few clubs have already done it, like put a, like a technical management committee above the committee so that the committee should be there to facilitate the members' needs and to keep the parents happy, to keep the swimmers happy, to support where where's needs be. Mm. Um, and then I think when it comes down to a technical management committee, you might have the head coach, the director of swimming. Um, you, you might have the, the chairman, chairman or chair lady on, on, the, on that board as well. Um, it might be someone neutral from Swim England. It might be someone from the like the GLL, for example. Mm. Um, it could be structured however you like, really. But I think people with swimming expertise who are trusted to put the swimmer's best interest and the club's best interest at heart is the way to go. Um, I have been allowed to do that here. I've been very, very lucky. I've been trusted by Chris and, and a few other people to put a structure in place which enables business growth, enables performance, enables swimmers' progression. Um, and I think it's really, really important people move in that direction. Yeah. So that's one main difference that Hamilton Aquatics has in terms of your club structure. What other differences do you have compared to clubs over in the UK? I mean, there's pros and cons um, to living and training here and living and training and maybe a more competitive swimming nation. Um, not just UK, obviously. Um, I think one thing is, you know, we don't need to go on a training camp. Like, we've got mm. the weather, we've got the pools, we've got the facilities, we've got everything we need. Um, the disadvantage is we, we are not exposed to really competitive swimming regularly. So, for example, I can turn up with my squad to one of our open meets and six out of the eight swimmers in the last heat might be my swimmers so to be able to take stroke rates and splits and give really good feedback is quite difficult yeah um, which, which means trusting each other and and sometimes finding other ways outside the box to, to get that uh reflection and and analysis um whereas when we go to the uk you know you could have 30 heats of 103 and you got one in heat seven mm -hmm. one in heat 11 it's you know it's a lot a lot, lot easier to give individual feedback um 
So we're lucky with that. We're lucky with the pool access and the school relationships. Um, like we work with over 30 schools um, and each of those schools gets a certain amount of either curriculum hours or school swim squad support in return for either uh, rental um, contracts or earlier access into the pools, for example. So um, we try and work with the schools. Some schools have better relationships than others. Some schools want to go all on their own and then just give us the pool at 4 p.m. Uh, and other schools actually want that support and, and expertise to, to help with their school. Hmm. Let's, let's touch upon racing then. So you say there's not a massive amount of opportunities. How does it work when you're racing around the world with your squad? Because you said you've had some over here at British Champs. I presume there's a lot of logistical differences, expenses. It, 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 it's a challenge to race, essentially. Yeah, the, the hardest thing is the fact, again, one of the positives is I coach out of my eight squad of 18 swimmers. I think there's 11 different nationalities in that squad, which is great. Like it's not, you know, let's go to regionals and let's go to nationals. Like, you know, everyone's darting around. I, I just had a seven week period where um, my Egyptian swimmers started nationals at the beginning of March, all the way through to uh, my two Irish girls who just finished racing last week. So planning tapers and planning training becomes an absolute nightmare. And if I want to, <laughs> if I get that right, I try my best. Um, but I feel like there's different points where someone might feel like they're missing out on something. Um, and that's, again, just comes back to the relationships and making sure that they feel like they're getting what they need. And, and if not, having an open, transparent relationship so that they can ask or recommend things and, and just work with that athlete because it comes very difficult. Um, rarely do we, tr we travel as a whole squad. Um, swimming the nationals in December was an opportunity we did get. Um, mm. So that was nice for one team building, but two, you know, a decent level of competition. Um, but yeah, throughout like the key periods where it's home nationals and international junior meets and things like that, they're kind of racing on their own. Um, I do, I have always had a bit of a, an alliance with the British swimmers. Um, we have been lucky enough to bring quite a few over in the past. Um, we actually only have four swimmers in our elite squad at the moment who are British, um, but still thought it was fair that we we supported them at their meet um and then the rest of the time it's it's normally prioritized on the higher performing swimmers on who gets the support really um mm. in terms of financing that if it's a big team trip we'll just include the coaches costs as part of the hotel and things like that if it's an individual trip where like for example i've only got four swimmers we just ask for a small contribution and then the club will pay for, for me to attend mm. So when you've got competitions going on, like you just said, you had that eight-week period of different nationalities going to different competitions around the world. Um, how do you sort of deal with that in Nepal? Do you have different training methods? Do you prior not prioritize, but do you focus on the sprinting and separate out the sprinting and distance? How, how does it all work? Uh, so, yeah, again, honestly, it's a plan. And then there's there becomes a certain point where I have to wing it. Like, mm. And I don't mind saying that because I think that shows a decent skill of being able to adapt, which I have to be able to. Um, there's a different split in my group every day anyway, whether it's a sprint or distance or whether it's the IM guys and the mid-distance free, free guys anyway. So it is, it is fairly um, split up and broken down anyway. So when there's certain swimmers 
who will be racing a little bit earlier. Um, it's very much a case of just tweaking things for them. You know, it might be a set of 50s where instead of those guys doing a big block of 50s, they might go one on, one off, or it might be a little bit more race process rather than trying to, you know, hit a certain stroke rate and average time across <clears throat> a decent block. That's where we'd like tweak it, maybe add some gears. Um, for example, that one of the boys who raced first um, in that seven-week block, um, we did a big block of 30 50s for everybody. And some of them, it was just stroke count work. Some of it was like there was two people who actually went all 30 at pace. Um, and then the one boy who was racing first, I actually got him to bring his racing skins. And we just did some feel-good ones. And he got to choose one-on, one-off, two-on, two-off, whatever he wanted to go with that. Um, so again, it becomes quite individual with that stuff. Um, the aerobic sets are quite easy because... Again, where where some swimmers might be working a little bit harder than they might even need to, maybe borderline borderline threshold work. Um, it's a case of those swimmers just making sure they take the heart rate, they focus on some real basics, stroke mm. counting, putting, pushing off the wall, put on a snorkel, put on some fins, um, and it'd only be the last few days. Then we just cut their volume a little bit. So, mm. yeah, it's hard to manage, but we we find a way. We don't always get that right, but we try our best pool space must be quite useful i imagine <laughs> <laughs> yeah like it's an absolute necessity um there's points in the year like now for example we're about to all do a two-week block together and i don't really need six lanes in a 50 meter pool with 18 swimmers like i, I don't like i can i could squeeze them into three lanes four lanes whatever yeah. but there's then a period you know it's going to be in about eight to ten weeks where i might have four different sessions going on in that pool so mm. um then all of a sudden it becomes a must. Yeah. I think there's there's two big points I've, I've taken away from that. One is you're, you're kind of setting up your swimmers, not just for their swimming future, but for life by giving them some responsibility to pay attention to their own training mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. see when they need to ease off because they know themselves they've got races coming up because you plenty of swimmers out there will just sit back and do whatever the coach gives you. And then it's also, you can get drawn into a hole where you are writing 18 different programs and for your own mental health and well-being and stopping yourself from burn it, burning out you don't have to do that because the swimmers have their own responsibility yeah yeah no absolutely and um i mean there are don't get me wrong there are some swimmers um who don't feel comfortable really giving feedback yet but again that just comes comes down to building that relationship over the next couple of years learning not just me learning what works for them but them learning what works for them. Like um, one of my best swimmers at the moment, um, like she did a cycle last year and we actually cut out threshold work three weeks before she raced. She didn't swim terribly, but like she swam okay, but not how she wanted to. And she was like, oh, I need to add in, I need to do a threshold set five days before I race. And I was like, oh, okay, what, what makes you think that? And there's not many kids which will come up to mm. you and tell you that, you know, they yeah. need to do a set they don't particularly enjoy. Um, so it's nice when you hear those things. Um, of course, on the flip side, you get some of the sprinters who just want to do a broken swim every week. And yeah. <laughs> it's not everybody's like that. But um, again, that's that's learning what to kind of filter, who knows their bodies, who knows their minds. Sometimes people just need a mental reassurance, even if they don't need that set physically. Yeah. Um, one thing we do on, you know, like I, I assume like in the UK, people still train on a Saturday morning, for example, yeah. um, because I'm off for the rest of the day. I'd split my squad into two. 
So I'll coach two two-hour sessions um, just to give a little bit more individual work as well. Um, early on in the year, it'll be as simple as um, new guys in the squad and, and guys who have been in my squad for a year or two split. Um, it's literally different every week. Like, so I'll just communicate earlier in the week, right? Who comes to session one or session two? And then it gives you confidence that you can send them around the world to race by themselves as well, because basically their whole journey through Hamilton aquatics is, it's almost setting them up knowing that that is going to be their race outcome. They, they are going to have to look after themselves, I guess, in at points. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I learned not to micromanage the swimmers hmm. um, maybe six, seven, eight years ago. Um, I think I was guilty of that, trying to manage everything and be a bit of a perfectionist with everything and over-preparing them to a certain extent. And I think I reflected a while ago just on making sure that those swimmers could stand on the block, even though they know they've got me at the end of a WhatsApp or a phone call if they need or a Zoom now. Um hmm they need to be able to stand on that block knowing that they trust everything they do, all the preparation they've done, and just to make sure that they stand on that block with as much confidence as possible. Do you have set UK competitions when you come over every year now? Um, it differs year to year. So, um, for example, the December competition, um, we normally rotate. So some years we've done Irish short course, some years we've done Scottish, English, depending on age groups, qualifying times or the swimmers needs or whatever. So, mm. um, yeah, we try and mix it up a little bit, get a different experience for the swimmers. Um, and then throughout the rest of the year, it's normally based on, um, athletes going to swim in their home country nationals, mm. wherever that might be. And, uh, pre COVID, and we're hoping to get back that, to that for April, 2023. Um, we normally bring a big, big, team to uh, like a uk team trip like a, just a normal open meet um so we're hoping to bring maybe 80 90 swimmers to to a meet next april as well oh wow mm. that's a lot am i right in thinking sometimes british swimming send over is it the junior development squads over there to race at one of the big open meets yeah we we we've had the dice program the swim england dice program the last couple mm. of years um so they, they come over and do a bit of a camp and then our Middle East Championships. Yeah. So that's a really, really good one. Um, and then throughout the year, we get random training camps from different countries, federations, which we normally go out of our way to really, really help them come because as a coach, it's really good just to be exposed to that and, and see what other people do, really. Um, before COVID, Mel was bringing like, Adam over once every two years, for example, which was great just to see her coach and in her element. So it's all it's all about education, not just for yourself, but swimmers as well. They get they get to see everything and exposed, because I can imagine you can possibly get very cut off there in the Middle East with the rest of the swimming world. But the fact that you are bringing swimmers over to race there, you're, there's training camp opportunities. You're broadening the horizons for everyone. Yeah, absolutely, and um, it's actually a challenge as a coach. Like obviously, you know, being a director of swimming it's easy to challenge other coaches with their CPD and their opportunities, but sometimes you neglect yourself. So I've had to consciously at different points, put myself out there um, and engage with people. I'm, I'm cheeky enough to ask people for a zoom if, if, if I need to, or I want to pester someone. Um, so, so that's good. And, and having helped people on training camps over the years, 
Um, people do owe me a, a favor now and again because we rarely charge <laughs> for, for pool time as well. So people normally get a free pool to train in. Um, so, yeah, it's it's good to have people to rely on. I'll tell you Amazing. what, if we if we need to film some uh, content, then we might uh, pull a string or two. <laughs> Quick trip yeah, to the <laughs> Do you have what are your what are your goals and ambitions for your own career? Then, if you're learning from all these different coaches, I think uh, if you'd asked this question when I was 21, I'm 34 now, um, I think I would have said coach Olympic gold medalist, and that was mm. probably because of ego. Um, now, I'm really proud just to be quite good at coaching 14 to 18 year olds and sending them off to universities. Um, And I kind of just want to get better and better and better at that. And um, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy having day-to-day contact with young people of that age, because I feel like we can have a big impact, not just in the pool, but on people's lives and shaping who they are. Um, and and I tie in coach development with that as well. Like it's something we, we really enjoy. Um, we do work our coaches very very hard here. Um, they have a lot of contact hours. We do a lot of CPD stuff. We do a lot of um, meetings in the office. And I think it does give people a different skill set and and a professional skill set to be able to go on and be a head coach of a, a small club or a medium medium sized club in the future. I love that. Yeah. I, I actually love that because we, we constantly say on this podcast it shouldn't be results driven. It's, it's all process. And that 14 to 18 year old, it like you said, sets you up for life. Me and Dan can tell you that swimming essentially made us what we are today. I'm well architect. I've been going in education for 10 years. I wouldn't have the discipline to do that without my journey through swimming at that age. It's the life it yeah, it's yeah. set, Exactly. Essentially, it didn't set me up to be a swimmer. It set me up for my my career for the rest of my life um i think i think that as a coach that's i i love that answer as a goal and ambition especially with that age of 14 to 18 with school being the paramount thing with exams as well you kind of need to learn that discipline like scott was saying and the commitment determination learning all those skills because then it's not just the swimming side it comes into every aspect of other life yeah Hmm. definitely definitely should we talk about one of your most recent alum who is absolutely flying right now before we kind of end up end this podcast, Lewis Burras, um, British champs. Obviously he, he's had a little bit of a tough journey in making juniors to seniors. Mm. How impressed were you that he essentially broke out this year? Yeah. Um, quite proud actually. And, um, really just, um, it was really nice just to be his number one supporter there rather than, having the stress or the pressure. Um, so it was, a, it was a very different um, relationship we had during that week. It was um, just some real mature chats and enjoying the moment with them really um, because, yeah, he worked he worked hard as an age grouper. Like he was in our program for nine years. Um, and yeah, he has had a couple of rough years transitioning. He's He'll openly say he's dropped out of college twice in the US. It wasn't for him, um, for different reasons at each one. Um, but I think going to Winchester, which um, at the time with with Zoe Baker, mm. um, has worked out a really, really positive thing for him. He gets on really, really well with her. Um, she's a bit of a mother figure for him, disciplinarian and you know, swim coach at the same time. So I think they've got a nice balance in their relationship. Um, he's really, really enjoying his swimming with her as well. 
Of course, he's been selected for the, the World Champs team, which happens in June. What do you think he'll be able to achieve? Because the times he hit at Champs were just awesome. What do you reckon he'll do? Uh, no idea. Um, I think for him, you know, it is his first senior international meet. Mm. I think he's got to be able to just go and enjoy the experience. I think if you're on a Great Britain team in relays, you stand a chance of getting a medal as well. Um, so if he can be as excited as he was for his individual race for, for the boys and the team, which I think he will be, um, I think I think that'll be a really good balance and experience for him. Um, I think the, the main thing is just going and having a positive experience so that he can build on that over the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, you know, there have been swimmers over the years who step up at trials and then don't perform at the major meet, but I don't, I don't think that's him. I think he kind of thrives on doing well and that kind of spurs him on that little bit more every time. Yeah. And you as a club, straight off the back of his performances at British Champs, were able to set up a swim clinic. How, how, do you, how were you able to do that so quickly and jump at probably what is a very good business opportunity for yourselves? Um, I mean, well, he was, he was due to come out here for two weeks because um, he's moving to Australia now with Zoe Baker. So he's mm. gone to Perth. He's there now. Um, so the plan was always that he'd have two weeks off after trials before moving there. So he came and trained like once a day with us, which was really nice. Um, and obviously doing so well at British champs, um, we just said like, he loves giving back. Like he always used to come and volunteer and do things for free anyway for me, um, which is great. Uh, and it's great for our, our young swimmers. Um, but on this one, I just said, look, do you want to make a bit of cash? Like, you know, you, you you've earned that one now. Like, so we put on a swim clinic and it literally, I put it on, we've got an online portal and it, it filled within two days. So, um, wow. yeah, it was, it was a good opportunity for our young kids. They were signing their kickboards and, and all sorts of things afterwards. So um, it, it's just nice. Like we've, we've done loads of swim clinics in the past with you know, random Olympic medalists who are, who are great swimmers, but it's just different when they come from your club. It mm. almost adds an element of that could be me one day, you know, and yeah. uh, a little bit of belief. Yeah, yeah, love that. Um, Ash, it's been really fun talking to you. I think there's so many lessons in there that coaches can take away. I, th I think it's an incredible setup that you've got out and over in Dubai. Before we mm. finish, we do usually do some quick fire questions. How does that sound to you? Yeah, go for it. Um, so, what is your favourite stroke to coach? Oh, changes every every time I get a couple of good swimmers. To be honest, but um, I'd say <laughs> I'd say freestyle like. I've had uh, some good good swimmers come through on, on freestyle and I enjoy coaching the mechanics of it. Mm. Nice. Um, who is your swimming idol? And it could be a coach. Oh, uh, I think it's, it's got to be in thought just from when I was swimming uh, and he was the guy at the time more than anything. Um, and then as a coach, do you know what? Like whenever I see her on poolside, it's just it's Mel Marshall. Like she just gives you a boost of energy. Um, whenever she speaks to you, you feel like you're the only person in the room. So, uh, yeah, from a coaching perspective, it'd be Mel. Nice. Um, mm. What's your proudest moment in swimming? Um, there's too many. Uh, like, <laughs> I, th I think, like, there was a, there was a point in 2014, um, which made the beginning of the Hamilton journey seem like we were on the right track and we, we won the medal table at the national age group championships in mm. 2014. And I think 
that was a um, maybe not the proudest moment, but just the point where we were like, wow, like we've done so much in a short space of time. What can we achieve in the next ten years? Yeah, nice. What's the hardest set you've ever given out in training? The hardest set, do you say? Yeah. yeah. Uh. I mean, this, these things aren't regular, like they're the kind of New Year's challenges and things like that. But yeah, we, we've done 100 hundreds um, as a bit of a tradition. I know a lot of people disagree with that stuff, um, but we like it. I feel the reason I like it isn't because it's a hard set. It's because genuinely my swimmers get out of our pool and they generally feel like they've accomplished something and they've earned their New Year's off and I always give them two days off. So I actually think not because we're hammering kids up and down on 100 hundreds every day it, 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 it kind of a special tradition it's the mental capability as well i think if you yeah like you say what you've you've just achieved something that's really quite hard you know 10k sort of session but it's then if you see another hard set less i don't know months down the line you think oh, maybe i can do that because i've just done 100 100 hundreds uh, you know so yeah it's like mental capability as well i think hmm. yeah yeah and final question, if you were to go on a road trip, there are three spaces in the car. You can take friends, family, or celebrities. Who would you take with you? This is a good one. I think just for banter, it would probably be Boris Johnson at the moment. Uh, okay. <laughs> definitely, I definitely wouldn't pick him as a prime minister, but I'd take him on a car trip. It'd be quite funny. <laughs> um, I'm a massive fan of Ricky Gervais. He'd be funny. Mm. Um, and then probably just because he's great at carpool karaoke, uh, James Corden. He's, he's pretty oh, funny. Oh, nice. That's I haven't had that one before. Car. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I like, like it. it. <laughs> um, Ash, thank you so much for giving up some time to speak to us on this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. It's been really good fun. Um, mm. And it, it is a really interesting setup there, which probably more people should look into. Yeah. Yeah, and um, anyone's welcome to email us, visit us. Um, it's not a problem. Like, I'm happy to to spend time on people. I've been fortunate enough for people to spend time with me in the past and I'll be quite open and honest that I don't know a lot, but I've made a lot of mistakes and I think people can learn from them as well, you know? Yeah. I think what we'll have to do, we'll have to save some money and come and visit you in Dubai one one time. Maybe next year when COVID is completely gone, hopefully. That'll be <laughs> idea. But it's fantastic yeah. learning stuff. So thank you very much for coming on. No, thanks for having me, guys. Cheers. And um, hopefully we get to meet in person at some point. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So that just about rounds up this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, please do so on YouTube, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And me and Dan will be back in seven days time. Yes. Thank you for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you on the next one. You've been listening to the Propulsion Swimming Podcast with Scott and Dan. We want to thank you for joining us and invite you to subscribe to the show as well as checking out the Propulsion Swimming YouTube channel for weekly tutorials and videos to get your swimming fix. We will be back next week. Until then, we'll catch you on the next one.